Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hi there. I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast. From KQED. On today's California Report magazine, a Father's Day tribute to dads. Listeners from across the state tell us about the sounds that remind them of their fathers. The sound that reminds me most of my father is the sound of mechanical clocks. And not, uh, not just one of them, the tick-tock, but hundreds of them. But first, a daughter rediscovers letters from the dad who missed most of her childhood because he was in prison. I can still remember you jumping, saying, look, Daddy, look at me. I'm smiling as I write this down, but at the same time, my eyes are tearing up. I'm so tired, Princess, of wasting precious time away from you in places like this. I'm Sasha Coca, and it's the California Report magazine. Your state, your stories. We're going to start our show today with a story about a dad who spent years shuttling in and out of jail and prison while his daughter was growing up. Her name is Melissa Duenas, and she's from San Diego. She kept in touch with her dad by writing snail mail letters, and he would write back. Melissa's 31 now, and she recently dug up those letters again. Sorting through them has helped her revisit both her deep love for her dad and the anger that lingers. Just a note, all the letters in this story, both from Melissa as a kid and from her father, will be read by voice actors. And a warning, this story includes some disturbing themes. The year is 1993, and me and my family are at Disneyland on a sticky summer day. I'm a giggly five-year-old. My mom's holding my sister, a wide-eyed newborn. And then there's my brother, who's trying to play it cool because he's 13. Go over there, miss. Missy! That's my dad. His name is Ben. He's our unofficial family cameraman. And Missy is my family nickname. I'm trying to get an autograph from one of the Disney characters. Hey, Pat, who's this guy? Jafar. Uh, who? Jafar? Jabar? <laughs> Babar? My dad is wearing his usual. Dickie's pants and a white sleeveless undershirt. With all his prison tattoos in sight, I'm sure he looked intimidating. But this is who he really was, a wise-cracking jokester that I had a blind love for. I hope you're not writing my daughter a love note. Yeah. Thank you, oh, Okay, thank you. Let's see what it says. <laughs> I can't get it. Okay, all right. <laughs> Ever since I was little, I remember my dad being locked up. 
He went in and out for different violations, like robbery, possession of weapons, drugs. When he was away, I wrote him constantly. March 1999. Do you like my card? I'm really supposed to be asleep right now because it's Sunday night, but I'm making this card for you. So, do you feel different now that you're the big 39? I hope they were extra nice to you because it was your B-Day. Well, happy birthday. March 1999. I got your letters, my birthday card, and pictures. Thank you very much for taking the time to write me. You look so beautiful in those pictures. It brought tears to my eyes just remembering those good times we had. Let's open it up. Let's see what's in here. I didn't look in your thing yet either. No? No. That's my little sister, Lily. She empties a manila envelope of letters onto the couch and picks up an old piece of black construction paper. Oh, it was Father's Day in school, so I, I made him a tie. I kind of get sad because like everyone was like, I'm going to go home and give this to my dad. And I would see the other kids giving the ties to their dad mm. after school. And then I had to send mine in the mail. We continue sifting through the small pile, looking at the faded yellow paper with my dad's immaculate handwriting, envelopes with stamps of angels and ballerinas, cards with Minnie Mouse and Winnie the Pooh. Well, right now I've been going through this thing where I'm kind of angry at him. He, his whole life was just this like half evil, half good person. And I feel like I want to cry, but I can't because I'm too prideful, because I'm like, why am I going to cry over somebody who didn't cry over me? But do you know if, Do you know that? I know he cried over me, because I see all these letters. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just feel like maybe it affected me, like I feel like I wasn't worth it. It's my first year of high school. I'm going to football games, hanging out with my friends, having crushes, doing well in school. On the outside, I seem fine, but inside. December, 2001. I don't even know you, Dad. It's hard for me to tell if you're on drugs or coming down from them, or if this is actually my dad without drugs. I love you so much. And no matter what, I'm going to love you. But it's hard for me to just watch you hurt yourself, your life, your health, and your future. December 2001. I'm tired of living like I've been living, and you're right. I do need to change. I really don't mean to hurt you or make you sad intentionally, and I'm sorry that I have. I'm very sorry, princess, and I hope that you can forgive me. I do love you very much, and the last thing I want to do is hurt you. My dad's habitual incarceration began when he was 13. He went to Youth Authority for robbing liquor stores at gunpoint. YA is the juvenile version of prison. Not right now, Mom. Can you close that door, Mom? So we don't need to enter that one. That's my older brother. His name is also Ben. 
We sit in my mom's dining room, exchanging silly glances and nervous laughter as I get ready to record our interview. And so once he went to YA, he became corrupted, indoctrinated into the, the gang culture. My brother grew up immersed in gang culture as well. His friends, our cousins, our neighbors, even the people at our church all had gang affiliations. At first, my dad tried to keep him away from this lifestyle. First of all, yeah, I was already going the wrong way at 13, you know, running with gangs, doing drugs, blah, blah, blah. And then so this gang uh, program came around offering free boxing, you know, to kids at risk. But he forced me kind of almost to be in boxing. He was there at boxing practice. When we go out of town, he was there. He was almost like your regular dad. When my brother was 22, their relationship changed. They started to roll the streets and even use drugs together. The first time was that weird, and I'm kind of getting vague memories. I'm sure it kind of felt at least halfway funny, like smoking, not weed or drinking a beer, but like smoking crystal with your dad. That's weird, you know? So yeah, but once we got off that first time or second time, I'm sure it wasn't, it was nothing, you know, definitely wasn't weird. But like, when was it clear that he had an addiction? For not having a job, he always had a place to stay, you know, because he always did what he got to do. But yeah, I don't, I remember he was about... I guess 44 and then he was uh sleeping in a car with his new wife laura but uh he said you know i'm tired of going to prison i'm tired of going to prison i hate prison i hate the way it smells I hate the way it looks i hate the people that are in there i hate everything about it but i just made the assumption that uh he would rather be homeless on the streets dirty and stinky than in prison It's my last year of high school, and I decide to go live with my grandmother. I need to get away from my family. My brother's meth paranoia scares me, and my mom won't stop nagging me about God. September, 2004. Sometimes I think I'm okay, and I'm used to you not being around. And then there's times where I'll just start crying because it catches up to me, and it hits me that I do miss you very much. I just keep trying to hold it in and be strong. No matter how many times you go to jail, it hurts me every time. August 2004. There's this one time I remember so clearly. It was the time we went to Disneyland. I can still remember you jumping saying, Look, Daddy, look at me. I'm smiling as I write this down, but at the same time, my eyes are tearing up. I'm so tired, Princess, of wasting precious time away from you in places like this. But this is it. This is my last time. I'm not giving any more of my life to this system. I visited my dad a few times when he was locked up in Donovan. It was close to where we lived in San Diego. Other times he was in prison up north, so it was too far for us to go. My mom says my dad never liked us visiting him anyways. He didn't want us to see him like that. But if I tell you that I'm, I'm not the one to talk about it, respect that. That's my mom, Patricia. We sit closely at a table, but her gaze is distant. Well, I might ask you why you don't want to talk about it. And I might say, I just don't feel like it or that it's none of your business? Well, 
I'm asking you because it, it has affected everybody. You're asking me, you know, when did you know that your dad, you know, was, you know, having a problem and things like that. It's like, you know, not only did your dad have problems, I had problems too. My mom and dad had known each other since they were 16. Both of them had been abused by their families. And those kind of things connected us and tied us together. And so he would come over sometimes hurt because he got beat up by his dad. I remember, I remember a lot of rainy nights that he would come pick me up. And so he always knew that I liked the 7-Up and a beef jerky. And so he would bring me a 7-Up and a beef jerky. And we would just cruise around. I think sometimes I probably even had my pajamas on. In what ways do you think that dad was a good husband and a good father, if at all? He was a good father because he liked spending time with his kids. He loved to go and hear about your report card, if they were going to be in a play, if they were going to be in a choir. He wanted to be there. Uh, when it came to being a good husband, that was a lot more difficult for him. When my parents were married, my dad physically abused my mom, some of which I witnessed. But mostly, I remember crying in the closet with my sister. My parents divorced when I was 10 years old, and I never questioned why. You know, he would tell me that he didn't want to be that angry person. And so I think to um, capture that angry person, he would use drugs to sedate himself. And maybe that's what he, the only thing he thought could control his anger. My mom says heroin mellowed my dad out. But when he started using meth, he became even more violent. She decided to leave him after that. He continued to use both after they separated. I know that he still loved his kids, but he just wasn't, just something was missing. It almost seemed like his soul was completely um, swallowed up by the drugs. I don't know if he realized it too, but in a lot of his later years pictures, he wasn't smiling anymore. He had a sad look on his face. How would you explain that? Like, what is, what is that essence in him that was drowned? His gentle, quiet spirit that he had when he was sober and clean. And, and after you guys were divorced, did you ever see that again? I think the last time I seen that was when he was in his casket. October 2007. Missy, if I haven't already, I would like to say I'm sorry for hurting you in the past. I hope that one day you'll be able to find it in your heart to forgive me so that we'll be able to get back to a normal relationship with one another. Listen, Melissa, I'm your daddy. And I love you. Nothing will ever change that. It would be nice to hear from you, but if for some reason you don't have time to write back, I understand. He sent this letter to me for my 20th birthday, but I never did write him back. I didn't want to have anything to do with him. Two months later, he died. Only a day after he was released from prison, he had a heart attack from doing both meth and heroin. 
The people he was with dragged his dying body to a nearby alley, left for dead, like a stray dog. A man saw what happened and called an ambulance, and at 9.55 p.m., alone in the hospital, my dad was pronounced dead. He was 47. Even though it's been almost 12 years since his death, that same old confusing mix of anger and sadness started to resurface. But in the process of doing this story, I discovered a message from my dad, a treasure in my archive of letters, one I don't remember. September 2004. After I started reading your letter, I started to cry. Even my celly tripped out on me. I told him that the only people in this world that can write a letter to me and touch me in such a special way that'll make me cry are my two daughters and my mother. Thank you for being you, Princess, and that very sweet, special person that God blessed you to be. I'm so proud and blessed to have you for my daughter. You write and express yourself very well and also speak well. Have you ever thought of being a writer or some sort of journalist or something? I read this alone in my room laughing and crying all at once because my dad didn't just love me. He knew my path even before I did. And yes, I'm still mad at him, but that's okay. I've accepted the fact that making peace with him, his life, his choices is a constant process. One I may never fully understand. My dad wasn't all good but he wasn't all bad either. And I still love him all the same. I'm gonna go back inside now. Say bye, Missy. For the California Report, I'm Melissa Duenas. Melissa Duenas produced that piece as part of an advanced radio class at the USC Annenberg School for Communication and Journalism in Los Angeles. Mark Nieto composed the original music. Melissa's story makes me appreciate having a dad who's been so present in my life. In fact, as part of this week's Father's Day show, we opened up the phone lines to you, our listeners, to call in and share stories about your dads. Here's what we asked. Tell us the sound that reminds you of your father or your grandfather. Hi, my name is Chrissy Kenefick, and growing up in San Rafael, I remember feeling very frightened by the eerie moaning noise of foghorns out in the darkness when I was falling asleep at night. And one evening, as my dad was getting me ready for bed, I was probably about three or four, and my dad went and got some paper and a pencil, and he sketched out this cute little drawing of a foghorn, and he made it look so tiny and innocent on paper. And he just completely diffused the situation. And still, every time I hear a foghorn, I think of my dad, and I remember how gentle and caring he was.
Hi, my name is Catherine Newton. I'm a resident of San Anselmo, California. And the sound that reminds me the most of my grandfather is the sound of whistling. He whistled all the time. And one time he was whistling in the car. I was in my teenage years and the sound was piercing. It was driving me crazy. And I said, Grandpa, can you please stop whistling? His job was picking up bodies from the mortuary at hospitals and taking them to a funeral home. And his comeback was, none of the people that I drive around at work ever complain. And that was exactly uh, his sense of humor. And whenever I hear anyone whistling, I think of my grandpa. Hi, my name is Giacomo Fiore. I'm calling from San Francisco. Uh, the distinctive sound that reminds me of my dad is the sound of a spoon hitting the side of a little espresso cup because that's how he used to wake me up when I was in high school. And he used to make me a little cup of espresso with you know, a teaspoon of sugar in it and swirl it very noisily as he walked all the way from the kitchen to my room. And I would hear that ding, 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 noisy. It just embodies how annoying my father could be, but also how caring and how he would do things for me and my mom and others. Hi, this is Carolyn Day Flowers. The sounds that remind me of my father is the sound of an electric carving knife. Every year at Thanksgiving, my father would use the electric carving knife to carve the turkey. Apparently in 1961, when my parents were married, electric carving knives were the cool gadget that everybody was giving each other for wedding presents. Hi, I'm Steve Ogden from Placerville, California. And without a doubt, the sound that reminds me most of my father is the sound of mechanical clocks. And not uh, not just one of them, the tick-tock, but uh, hundreds of them. My father was an Air Force pilot, and whenever he would come back from overseas, he would have at least a, a couple of broken antique clocks that he picked up at a junk sale. And he got really good at fixing them. And it was generally just a cacophony, but... Now hearing even one clock, it brings you back to that garage and the time that we would spend tinkering on projects and, and fixing clocks, sometimes just listening to the sound of the time itself. My name is Idris Kufani Boloche. I'm a performing artist in San Francisco. And the sound that reminds me most of my father is an uh, album that he made that we discovered after he died. It's called The Piano Stylings of Trenton Cooper. And whenever I really, really miss him, I throw that on and listen to all the songs he wrote for my mother and that I grew up and went to bed every night listening to. I think the world of you. Thanks to all of you who called in to share the sounds of your fathers or your grandfathers. We couldn't fit everybody's in the show, but you can hear them at CaliforniaReport.org.
one of our listeners actually sent in an essay about a Father's Day ritual that makes him feel connected to his dad. His name is John Borg, and he lives in Bolinas in Marin County. Today, I gave my dad a haircut with a weed whacker. I also brought him a fragrant rose vine clipped from a shaggy heirloom bush in front of our house, hydrangeas in a cup, a Myers lemon from our tree, and the latest family news. Joseph Edward Borg, father of seven, lover of nature, longtime elementary school teacher, ex-Marine, avid reader, storyteller, amateur historian, and adventurer, rests exactly 77 steps from our kitchen door, up a gentle hillside in the St. Mary Magdalene Cemetery, among long-gone ranchers, farmers, hippies, poets, and California pioneers. It's among the oldest and most peaceful graveyards in Northern California, and is the only neighbor immediately adjacent to our property, at the entrance to a small, rural, coastal village that we're blessed to call home. A history buff who often visited ancient burial grounds on his beloved excursions with mom and their friends, I know he's happy to be here, near a simple mission church, under the towering cypress and eucalyptus, and so close to me and my family. Being 77 steps from our door, I often sense dad's presence and feel he is looking out over us and looking out for us. I sometimes visit him privately when I'm stressed or have a particular problem. He keeps my behavior in check. Being so close and interested, I think he knows when I make a mistake or screw things up. And I'm quite certain he's proud of me when I do good or get something right. Dad worked hard all his life for his family, and he and Mom managed to raise seven children on a public school teacher's salary, plus the odd jobs they took on to help make ends meet. He was tough and could be grumpy when it was warranted, a trait I've inherited, but I mostly remember him for his overly goofy, infectious laugh and the pride he experienced in seeing his kids grow up, and our adventures and friendships and successes. I only wish he could have seen more of it. Dad had adult onset diabetes, which led to a series of strokes and a long, slow, painful decline the last decade of his life. He was such a good guy. He did not deserve this fate. Dad should have had an enduring, happy retirement. Yet through it all, he soldiered on, mellowed out, and accepted his circumstances in large part motivated by his faith and the ongoing care and love of my mom and our family and friends. In our early years growing up in the 1960s and 70s, Dad used to line up all five Borg boys in the family room and take turns giving us Marine Corps-style haircuts with an electric razor, sometimes inadvertently trimming parts of our ears, but saving on barber costs. As we got older and it became more fashionable and acceptable, Dad let us boys grow our hair out long, which we all did in part to avoid those brutal haircuts. So now, at least once a year, I return the favor and give his gravesite a little trim. Looking good, Pops. Happy Father's Day. Listener John Borg's tribute to his dad, who passed away 12 years ago, Joseph Edward Borg.
that's the California Report magazine, your weekend storytelling show from the California Report. Subscribe to our podcast. Just look for the bear wearing earbuds. Special thanks this week to the USC Annenberg School for Communication and Journalism and to instructors Sandy Tolan and Ruxandra Guidi. We're a production of KQED Public Radio in San Francisco. Peter Arcuni is our director this week. Our technical producer is Seal Muller with additional engineering from Rob Spate. Our senior editor is Victoria Mauleon. And the California Reports editorial team also includes Susie Racho, Asala Sanapur, David Marks, Vinnie Tong, Ethan Lindsay, and Holly Kernan. I'm Sasha Koka. Happy Father's Day. This is the California Report magazine. Your state, your stories. Support for the California Report comes from the James Irvine Foundation, committed to a California where all low-income workers have the power to advance economically. Learn more at irvine.org. College Futures Foundation, more graduates for a thriving California. Learn more at collegefutures.org. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose Fund for Strategic Innovation supports transformative ideas that benefit humanity while protecting the natural world, recognizing through science the interdependence of all living systems. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast.